Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 1. My name is James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In today's episode, we'll be weaving a course across the tapestry of life. With the old bard as our tailor, we'll be threading the needle of our imagination and embarking on a journey that takes us all the way from the cradle to the grave. Stitching together the frayed edges of our human condition, we'll venture out from childbirth, infancy and puberty push through those difficult stages of our passionate youth, past the midlife crises, until we finally knit up the loose ends of our narrative at old age and senile oblivion. Welcome to the world of William Shakespeare and his blank verse masterpiece, All the World's a Stage, taken from the play As You Like It, Act 2, Scene 7. In this famous speech, we witness Shakespeare's ability to reduce the whole span of an average human life into just a few lines of verse. The speech is delivered within the play by the rather melancholic character of Jacques, whose rather pessimistic philosophy regarding the proverbial threescore years and ten of an average human life has become one of Shakespeare's most famous speeches. But before analysing this amazing piece of literature, let's take a listen, shall we? May I present to you all the world's a stage. Read to you by the very talented Simon Jackson. All the world's a stage by William Shakespeare. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his act being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Then the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like a snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly with good cape on lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise sores and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts, into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, 
his youthful hose well saved a world too wide for his shrunk shank and his big manly voice turning again towards childish treble pipes and whistles in his sound last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion sans teeth sans eyes sans taste sans everything So to kick off our discussion, it is very important to note that Shakespeare uses this blank verse speech in As You Like It to compare life to a theatrical stage on its most basic level. In other words, Shakespeare's character of Jacques posits the idea that life is a stage and men and women are players or actors who take on different roles throughout their lives. The concept comes in part from medieval philosophy, with the idea of seven ages dating right back to the 12th century. Indeed, there existed tapestries dating back to those times, and old hand-illustrated manuscripts that depict the seven stages of man visually. For theological reasons, it is also important to point out that medieval philosophers often constructed and worked with groups of seven, as the number was considered as being possessed with otherworldly qualities. Take, for example, the seven deadly sins and their counterpart, the seven divine virtues. As such, the connection between the idea of seven ages and medieval philosophy is quite easy to see. Now, of course, in terms of literary influences, there are several precedents that may have influenced Shakespeare in using the extended metaphor of a stage to represent human life. For instance, the Roman satirist Juvenal wrote that all of Greece is a stage and every Greek is an actor. This is very close to Jacques all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Meanwhile, Richard Edward in his 1560s play Damon and Pythias wrote Pythagoras said that this world was like a stage whereon many play their parts. What Shakespeare did then was to take this sentiment and as so often with his work, find new arresting images to embody the general idea. Here it is interesting to also note that Shakespeare uses the idea of people being like actors in a play many times in his work, the metaphor notably appearing in Macbeth and many of his sonnets, as well as elsewhere. Now, as for the structure and form of this poem or speech, the monologue is 28 lines long, and is in part written in blank verse, meaning it is written in lines of unrhymed iambic pentameter. In other words, lines that mostly follow a uniform heartbeat pattern of 10 didum 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 unstressed stressed syllables. In summary, Jacques's All the World's a Stage speech acts as a sort of microcosm for As You Like It, arguing that life is one big performance and that theatre and illusion are both noble arts and that they somehow transcend the literal stage. We play many parts in our lives, just as actors play fictional roles on the stage. Shakespeare, being an actor who had become a playwright and shareholder in the theatre, knew theatre through and through. 
almost certainly playing the role of Adam in As You Like It and giving credence to the notion of art imitating life. Or is it actually the other way around with life imitating art? Now that is a fascinating question to talk about amongst your friends. Welcome back. Now, turning our attention to the blank verse speech of Jacques, it is important to note that he begins by describing the experience of infancy and school days, the infant mewling and puking in the nurse's arms, who then grows into the whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face creeping like a snail unwillingly to school. Next, we have the young lover falling head over heels in love and lust, feeling the hot passion of love and lust like a furnace. The line, sighing like a furnace, succinctly captures both the love-struck sighs of the frustrated lover pining away for a beloved and the heated young passion of the man desperate to act on his love. With the oral image of the furnace sighing, capturing both senses, while also suggesting the singing of a serenade or love song for his mistress or sweetheart. After that, we have the soldier, the man going off to fight for king, queen and country, or to earn a living through military service while he is still young and strong. Until relatively recently, most generations of men would have faced the prospect of military combat. The generation who fought in the First World War had children who grew up to fight in the Second World War as recently as the 20th century. In the Elizabethan era, when Shakespeare was writing As You Like It, There were military campaigns in Ireland against France and against Spain. Soldiery was not just a possible career option, but something that men of fighting age must be drafted into under the law. Note that the young lover, now he has turned into the sweary soldier, strange oaths suggesting the foul language associated with men at war, has grown a beard that resembles the face of a pard, in other words, a leopard. The image of the bubble and the cannon's mouth is another ingenious piece of compacted imagery. Imagine a human or animal's mouth blowing a bubble, and then imagine a soldier staring down the mouth of a live cannon that could blow his head clean off. The soldier seeks glory and a reputation for his soldiery, even in the face of danger and possible death. The bubble can also burst at any minute to usher in his untimely death. After his career as a soldier, the next in the seven ages of man is the part of the judge, magistrate or justice. Middle-aged spread has taken its toll and the lean soldier has filled out with a fair round belly, filled with good food. A capon is a castrated chicken. The soldier's wilder beard has become more neatly trimmed and formal as the older man, now a justice sitting on magistrate's panels and dispensing verdicts, assumes a formal role as lawmaker and lawgiver. Wise saws are wise sayings or moral wisdom, while modern instances are recent examples or arguments which might be used as part of a legal case. Of interesting note here, of course, is that the trajectory of the life being described here by Shakespeare is one of relatively high status. 
Someone of a class that can attain to the role of a magistrate illustrates this, and this perhaps reflects the fact that writers of the time, such as Shakespeare, had rich patrons who funded their writing. Because of this, the writer's work then often came to reflect the lives of their wealthy benefactors. Once the man has played the part of justice, he effectively becomes retired, slipping into comfortable clothing, lean and slippered pantaloons, i.e. baggy trousers worn by old men of the time. The hose or trousers the man wore as a young man are now too loose, because he's become wizened and emaciated with age. The deep, big, manly voice the man had in his prime has become a childish treble, i.e. more high-pitched, with the onset of old age. And finally, the last of the seven ages of man is kind of a second childishness, as a human subject becomes more and more weak, helpless, and dependent on others, as he was when he was a very small child. And then mere oblivion, i.e. death. As everything fades, the very old man loses his teeth, his eyesight, his ability to taste food, and finally, sands, which means without, everything. So what are we to take away from this piece of literature? Well, it's probably going to be different for each person depending on the stage of life the reader actually finds himself or herself in. What's really interesting about this poem, however, is the ability to reflect on how human lives can evolve and change over time and pass through many different stages or seasons. While these seasons present us with different opportunities and challenges, they are often only temporary and impermanent realities. Realities that Shakespeare suggests are often undergirded and driven by small vanities rather than virtues. The middle-aged man with his vanities of gluttony, pride and greed is a case in point and all his status and wealth will not be able to stave off death in the end. The soldier's vanity and physical strength are another example of impermanence, which will ultimately end in fragility. And the lover's unbridled desire and impulse at the centre of modern society today, especially in the world of advertising, will thankfully decline into forgetfulness. On a more positive note, however, what is comforting about the journey this poem describes is that it seems that a life well lived can sometimes grow into a place of wisdom and a settled peaceful disposition that is less buffeted by the volatile emotions of lust and pride that seem to plague human beings in their younger lives. Personally, I take some solace from this idea. In the end, our fragility and mortality should keep us humble. Ultimately, our lives will go full circle and we will return once more to a kind of childishness. In the end, we will go full circle and we'll finish by being once more at the mercy of others, other people who will be required to nurture us and care for us in our declining years. And in this, Shakespeare points to the importance of maintaining healthy relationships with others in our lives and fostering an enduring sense of home that we can one day return to and be welcomed to with open arms. By the time of our deaths, with any luck, the fabric of our lived lives will have knitted together a rich, warm blanket that will enfold us in its loving arms and invite us into the long slumber that awaits us.
So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. Next week we'll be interviewing the poet Carly J. Metcalf to discuss her poem Lady Lazarus, inspired by Sylvia Plath's poem of the same name, which for Carly is a reflection on the poet's experience of living and suffering from cystic fibrosis in her young life until eventually undergoing a full lung transplant. This will certainly be a great episode to tune into. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode from Lit Poetry. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. All the World's a Stage by William Shakespeare All the World's a Stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances and one man in his time plays many parts his act being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Then the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like a snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard. Jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly with good capon lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise sores and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide, for his shrunk shank and his big manly voice, turning again towards childish treble, pipes, and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.